You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. We are continuing our Greater Than Expected series with a message from Pastor Megan titled, Jesus the Restorer. Let's check it out. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, I wanted to say welcome if you're new with us here today. I just want to give you a big welcome if you're online joining us. I want to say hello, and uh, I'm really excited about this week. You know, at the end of the service today, we're actually going to have some time at the altar, and I really just want to let you guys know that ahead of time so that throughout the message, you can just be praying um, to God just to see if he has anything for you that he'd want you to come up and get prayer for. We're going to have just a good response time. I'm looking forward to it um, coming up. So if this week I sent out a couple of texts to some people, you may have gotten a text, and some of you replied with some prayer requests for areas that you needed to see um, restored in your own life. And I just want to let you know that I've been praying over those this week, um, and the prayer team right now is praying for you backstage as well as our online hosts. They are praying for you this morning, and they're praying over this service and just trusting and believing that you're going to see some restoration in those areas. So this is our third week in the Greater Than Expected series. Week one, we talked about Messiah. The people were expecting a Messiah, and Jesus was a lot different and a lot greater than was expected. And then week two, we talked about the healer. We pray for healing because as the church, we are committed to the same mission that Jesus was on. And today, we're going to be talking about Jesus the Restorer. See, the world is a broken place in need of being restored. The more the world tries to restore itself, the more broken it becomes. Right? We see that all the time. We see people um, striving to try to find ways to fix things that are broken, and yet the world just becomes more broken. See, when you love something, you fix it when it's broken. I remember when I was a kid, my mom had this um, teapot that she had inherited from my great-grandmother, her grandmother, and it was really special to her. And I remember um, it broke. I don't remember the story behind how it broke, but I remember my mom super gluing it back together because it was something special to her. She didn't just throw it in the trash, she restored it. And then she set it up for it to be displayed. And if you go into her house, even today, it's still displayed. And, you know, we also like to restore things, right? We like to restore furniture, we like to restore cars, we like to restore houses. There's so many different things that we as people want to restore because we see value in it, even when it doesn't seem very valuable. You know, if you love your house and you get a leak in the roof of it, you're not gonna just keep that leak in the roof, are you? Because if you have a leak in the roof, it's going to be pouring water in when it's raining or snowing, and it's going to destroy the rest of the house. So we would fix that because we love our house, we value our house. We would restore the roof. See, God loves the world, and the world is broken. So Jesus, the restorer, is committed to fixing a broken world. When we see we're broken, we look for a restorer. When we see we're broken, we look for a restorer. 
This would have looked different than expected for the Jewish people in the Bible. We saw this when we were talking about Messiah a couple of weeks ago. People had an expectation of the Messiah, and Jesus proved to be infinitely greater than they expected. In Matthew 5, 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, the law was the first five books of the Bible. And it laid out a plan of restoration. The restoration plan consisted of a covenant between God and his people. A covenant is a contract between God and his people. If you do this, I will do that. It consisted of commandments, requirements, promises, and consequences for not following through. A biblical covenant is typically sealed with blood. We see this back in Exodus 24, 8, where it says, Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. So we see the blood sealing the covenant. Under the old covenant, restoration was needed whenever the covenant was broken between God and his people, and it required specific steps in order to see restoration. This is continued with the new covenant that Jesus made. So when we take communion, we remember that it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Again, it is, the covenant is being sealed with blood, but this time, the blood of Jesus. We see Jesus operating also as the sacrifice. Remember, however, the world is broken and incapable of fixing itself. So in the Old Testament, we continually see God's people breaking their covenant with God and in need of restoring their covenant. That is why we see the rise of the Old Testament prophets, people who God raised up to point people back to himself, restoring people to covenant faithfulness. See, Moses helped restore the Israelites following their escape from slavery in Egypt. The law was revealed through Moses from God. We see this in Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 3. It says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. See, before Moses dies, he instructs Israel that God will restore them if they follow the commands Moses has given them. The law was good, and it created a way for people to have a relationship with God. It wasn't perfect, though. And then we see this in the New Testament. Paul writes to the Romans that the law helped him understand his imperfection, his sinfulness, his brokenness, and his need for restorer and savior. But the law, it was limited and incomplete in its ability to restore people. In John 1, 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses could not restore the broken world. He couldn't. The law kept the relationship possible, but it was limited. It wasn't a foolproof plan. But Jesus would fulfill the law. He would restore in a way that the law couldn't. 
The law in of itself was not enough to keep people on track, to keep them in the relationship with God. The law needed prophets to help keep Israel on track and obedient to the covenant. You see, God used prophets to steer people back to covenant agreement. This is how God used prophets to restore. They connected people back to the promises of, and commandments put in place by Moses. Through the lives and writings of the prophets, we see promises being made and God's people waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. And the first of these prophets was Elijah. Elijah ushered in the age of the prophets. This was a time when the kings were ungodly and corrupt and they were worshiping other gods at times, marrying pagan women, and sometimes they were just flat out evil. The prophet's job was to keep the people from losing their way under the king. Elijah lived about 400 years after Moses, and Elijah was part of many powerful moments during his lifetime. Possibly the most famous is the one from Mount Carmel. In his attempt to bring restoration to the people by calling them back to follow God, he challenges the wicked king Ahab to the challenge. And the challenge was between the false god Baal, who the Israelites had been worshiping, and the true God of Israel. In 1 Kings 18.20, it says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. And we know from this story that there were two altars. There was an altar for Baal and an altar for God. And they were both offered a sacrifice on there. But the catch was that they would call down from Baal or from God to see who would set the altar on fire. So we see Elijah's opponents, those who are worshiping Baal, trying to call down Baal. And we also have Elijah on the other side who's taunting them, saying things like, well, why don't you just do a little dance? Then maybe Baal will come through. Or why don't you cut yourselves and then maybe Baal will come through. And it was just one thing after the other and it was, lasted all night. And then you see Elijah call down fire and the whole altar goes up in flames. So we see Elijah restored the altar back to God's altar for the Israelites. Elijah was restoring the relationship between the Israelites and God by calling them back. Calling them back to the true God. Because as we know, God said, you will only worship me. The role of a prophet was to keep God's people on track or to get them back on track. The prophet was God's spokesman to help people to not stray from the law and to restore their relationship with God through the promises in the law. The law and prophets were a band-aid for a broken world. They were a band-aid. They weren't permanent. They didn't fix it completely. The law at best could get people to behave, but people inevitably would fall back into their own ways because of our sinful nature. The Old Testament shows the heart of God and exposes the hearts of people. Because when we see we're broken, we look for a restorer. 
A few weeks ago, Tom was talking about the role of the Old Testament according to Paul in Galatians. We, it was meant to safely guide us back to Jesus. So when we get to the New Testament, this is what we see on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to go ahead and read that, and that's in Matthew 17. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Remember, we just talked about Moses and Elijah. They represent the law and prophets. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love this part that it was just thrown in there. Peter worrying about building these shrines. I don't know about you, but I think I would just be frozen. I don't think I'd be worrying about anything. (laughs) While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is being affirmed by the Father. Jesus will restore in a way that Moses and Elijah could not. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. The transfiguration marks the end of a band-aid fix and the beginning of God's permanent plan to restore the broken world. And there are a few things that we can learn about Jesus as the restorer. The first thing is Jesus is the ultimate restorer. Jesus will restore all things he will fulfill with the law and prophets could not. The transfiguration was the fulfillment of the law and prophets and the recognition of something greater than what was prior. Jesus was about to do what neither the law or prophets could do. He was about to restore humanity, both Jews and Gentiles. And here are just a few verses of where we see this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, Then when all the things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Revelation 4:11. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Romans 8:20 20 through 22. Against its will all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Hebrew 1.3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic. God in heaven. Ephesians 1 21 through 22. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. He is supreme. 
He is supreme over all things, creator of all things. All creation is eager with anticipation for him. Jesus radiates God's own glory and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the only one who can completely restore the broken world. And then we see in Acts 3, 18 through 22. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. We read verses where we see that Jesus is supreme over all things and came to restore all things. That all creation... The whole universe is impacted by his restorative work on the cross. But yet, we see in this verse that he came to restore the one. Jesus did what no one else could have done. He made a way for us to be fully restored. So the first thing is, Jesus is the ultimate restorer. Second thing is, Jesus restores the one. This is what the Bible says about restoring the one. 1 Peter 5.10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And then we see throughout Jesus' ministry, places, and people that he restored. Bartimaeus restored a blind man. Zacchaeus restored a traitor. Woman at the well restored her identity. Woman caught in adultery restored her reputation. Man at the pool of Bethesda restored his quality of life. Woman with the issue of blood restored her back into her community. Peter's mother-in-law restored her from sickness. Paul restored a murderer. Peter restored a coward. And Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch restored racial division. And then we have our own stories in this room. This week I sent out a text and I asked people to share their stories of restoration. Many people came back and they said that they had so many that they felt limited only to share one. But along with those were also areas of where they were still looking for restoration. See, this is what some of you said. Wanda. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I prayed to find someone to love me and not use me, a permanent relationship. 
When things are really tough, like financial, I can just be calm and trust the Lord will provide, and He always has. I've learned the peace and being thankful for what I have. We have had a roof over our heads. Wasn't the greatest, but kept us warm and dry. We took what, we provi- what he provided and made it our home, fixed it up. I no longer curse the struggle, but sit in peace for all we have. So good. And then Jason, which happens to be Wanda's husband, I would say first that God cleaned up my language. I used to have a trucker's mouth, but in November of 2000, I started my relationship with God. I felt an inner peace that I didn't have before. The Holy Spirit showed me how to love and be loved. I had been carrying a lot of baggage. I still had a problem with sometimes drinking. Thank you, God, for your patience. He was so gentle and loving. He taught me how to be a better man with strong lessons. I'm not perfect, and I'm still learning to be what kind of man God wants me, wants me to be. Only on special times I will have a drink. I wish I had room to tell you about all the miracles. And then Tina. Before I met Jesus, I was angry and needed to be in control all the time. When my oldest was about four, I saw me and her and realized I needed something different in my life. I wasn't sure what it was, but God called me away from the church I was going to and towards Word of Life. He called me into a relationship with Jesus. Through this, I have been able to be a better mom and aunt. I've seen through the years how even though I am a busy person, I am able to be still in the crazy moments and let God take them. I am able to give up control, and when things go not as planned, enjoy them, for God had something else planned instead. Looking back, I see how God, restoring me, restored my girls as well. It is a true blessing to be able to look back and see where God has brought me from knowing that every day he continues to give me grace and strength to continue my journey with him. And then Robert, peace of mind, fear of not being in control. Lorraine, being brought up Catholic and learning the Bible, God's word has taught me so much. I was told I could never have children. I loved kiddos and wanted to be a pediatric nurse. Well, going to the morgue as part of my rotation changed my mind and I stayed in the operating room. Well, after the ladies of grace prayed for me, my hysterectomy at 18 was canceled. I ended up having two children. My husband at that time left three months after my first child and four months after my second. Now I'm a single mom with two small children. Now this Catholic girl was invited to Grace Assembly where I gave my heart to the Lord and I lived by trust, the song Trust and Obey. I walked down and gave my heart to Jesus where he has never left me since. Now remarried through all my struggles, he has never left me since 1977. And then we have someone who wanted to remain anonymous. Throughout my life, I've struggled with fear and anxiety. During a really hard time in my life, I pulled away from my friends and isolated myself. When COVID hit, I was solidly in my comfort zone and talking to people was very hard. I would cry at the thought of hanging out with my friends. Over the past few years, God has been restoring my mind and relationships. He has taught me to rely on his strength to fight fear. 
how to change my thoughts to ones that honor Christ. Given me people who stuck with me through the awkwardness, plus a lot more I couldn't fit here. Most importantly, he has shown me over and over that he is faithful. Jesus promised me peace, and he fulfills his promises. And Christine, after being in the New Age for 12 years, my mind, body, and spirit were in great need of healing and restoration. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, he restored my mental health, physical health, and spiritual health. Because I had been away from my family for many, many years, God also restored my relationships with each of my siblings and my parents. And then Rick, it wasn't an area, it was my whole life. I was a heroin addict for 10 years who had destroyed everything in his life, riding a 10-speed bike to get drugs, living out of a storage unit, stealing everything I could for drugs, and burned every bridge in my life. Then I met Jesus, Christ in the basement of the Teen Challenge, my, and my life has never been the same. Jesus gave me a life beyond anything I could have ever dreamed or imagined. Diane, when I gave my life to Jesus, and even when I think about it, I cannot help but want to shout out in complete joy. The true feeling of joy when I received the Holy Spirit was not only joy being restored, but being loved for who I am. I am loved for who God created me to be. I am a loved child of God. The excitement that moves through my body makes me want to stand up, throw my arms out, and shout of the joy I have inside to the world. And then lastly, Annie. My mom and dad split when I was five years old. I did not grow up with my father or my half-siblings. Since I've come to the Lord, my relationship with my dad has been restored, and I have met and have a relationship with my half-sister. God truly has restored the years of heartache and broken relationship. How good are those, church? Those are so good, right? I just love these stories because we can look in the Bible and we can see the stories, but it's something when we know that it's the person sitting next to us, right? And I love that those stories don't necessarily mean that somebody is perfect or that they don't have hard things going on in their life right now. That there are still difficult and challenging things that some of them are still really believing God for. But there are also some areas that Jesus has really restored. The truth is we all have and will continue to have areas of our life needing to be restored. But we can put our hope in Jesus that he is the greatest restorer. So I have um, this illustration for you guys. I have this uh, jar over here. And it's made of clay. Someone here in church actually made it. They did give me permission to do what I'm about to do. So, <laughs> but um, in the Bible, it talks about us being jars of clay. And we see this jar and it looks pretty perfect. It doesn't have any cracks or anything in it. It's kind of how we start off. But as 
life goes on, things kind of start to happen and that changes. So perhaps it's a failed marriage or maybe it's the loss of a loved one or maybe it's our kids just not living the way we brought them up to. Um, Maybe it's just heartache. Maybe it's the feeling of not being enough. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's the loss of a job. So many different things, right? And then This is what we have. We just have all these pieces. And the thing about these pieces is they aren't less valuable because they're broken. They're still just as valuable to the creator of the pot. Just like what I said earlier about my mom's teapot, she put it back together because it was special to her. So what more would Jesus do? Right? He would do anything to restore this because he's the creator of this. These pieces all matter every single one of them. And even the little tiny pieces, these little shavings here, he doesn't lose track of one of them. There's this Japanese um, artwork that I really love and I, I came across it a few years ago. Some of you may be aware of it, but it's called Kintsugi. And Kintsugi, we're gonna put some pictures up of what it looks like. Isn't that beautiful? They're pictures of cracks in there that are filled with gold. See, Kintsugi is a Japanese art which repairs broken ceramics with gold to make them stronger and more beautiful. The Japanese believe there's beauty in the flawed and broken. Wellbeing.com.au states that the Japanese started to bond together pieces of pottery by drawing attention to, rather than away from, the breaks, which in turn had the effect of making the break the most important part of the piece itself. I love that. I love that not only are these pictures of flawed pottery, but they're even more beautiful now than they were before that the cracks aren't hidden. Instead, they are just amplified. And they're made beautiful. And there's no hiding from that. So I had my own little go at this this week. Don't judge it too harshly. But um, this is my, my bowl. And on this side, you see it has Band-Aids on it. 
And the band-aids, they represent the law. Because remember we talked about the law and the prophets being a band-aid fix. If I was to fix this bull over here with band-aids, it probably wouldn't hold together very well. And even if it did, it would keep falling apart and I'd have to keep reapplying band-aids to it. And it would be very, very fragile. But then when I turn it to the side here, this, this has gold going through it. This is, this is where Jesus has come in and he's restored those broken places. He's left them stronger and more beautiful. He hasn't shamed us into hiding from them. Instead, he's just amplified them and made them beautiful and something to show off, to show what he has done, to show how he's restored us because that restoration process is beautiful. Doesn't mean it's not cracked. Doesn't mean it didn't come at a price. Doesn't mean that it's not painful still. But it's beautiful. And then if we turn it to the side here, there's cracks here. And these cracks are just plain cracks. They haven't, Jesus hasn't come into those areas yet. There is no gold there. These are areas we're still waiting on for Jesus to restore. They're the broken areas in our life that we all have. That we're waiting for Jesus to come in and enter into those areas and make them beautiful. Um, they could be areas where it's hard to see the beauty in them. They may still be very raw and painful. We may still have a lot of questions, but they're still very valuable to God still very valuable to Jesus and he wants to restore those areas thing about this bull though was is that I was creating this bull at home and my son Moses he's eight years old and he's a very inquisitive little guy very black and white thinking he came up and he said to me mom why are you putting that bull back together and I said because I'm using it for my message on Sunday and he goes, why don't you just go buy a new bull like, why don't you throw it in the garbage? And I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to share. And I looked at Moses and I said, Moses, do you remember when I told you when you were a baby? And I started to tell him this story. See, Moses was born with craniosynostosis when he was a baby at six weeks old. We found out that he would need major cranial surgery at eight months old. And I may have shared this story before, but the thing is, is that when I asked doctors about what would happen if Moses didn't go through with the surgery, they explained to me that about 20 years before Moses had his surgery, they didn't actually do this type of surgery. And what they found was that there was a shortened life lifespan and that he wouldn't ever reach his full potential and that his brain would put pressure on his skull and eventually he would go blind and eventually he would probably pass away from it. And I shared this with Moses, not to scare him, but to show him that what Jesus did. 
that when he had that surgery, it was a miracle from God that Jesus restored his head. And that every single time he reaches up and he feels those scars on his head, or he sees them in the mirror, they are a reminder of what Jesus has done. So when it's, we come to you, right? Like that's what Jesus does. When you see those scars or you feel those scars, sometimes they're a little bit painful. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done or what he is going to do. That he makes them beautiful. If I had a picture, I would show you a picture of Moses' head because Moses' head was severely misshapen as a baby. It looked like a football. It was very pronounced in his forehead and very pronounced in the back. And yes, he has scars from that surgery, but he is a beautiful little boy and he has a beautiful potential. And because of that surgery, he will be able to live a very long time and be able, we will be able to see what Moses' full potential is. So the first thing is Jesus is the ultimate restorer. The second thing is Jesus is a restorer of one. Third thing is Jesus is the restorer who keeps restoring. So we're going to have some altar time here in a minute. So the prayer team can go ahead and come up. But first of all, I wanna to talk to some of you because I think some of you probably just see yourselves as this, just broken pieces. And I wonder, if some of you have a hard time seeing how you will ever be restored. And maybe you haven't actually invited the ultimate restorer into your life. Maybe you don't feel you deserve to be restored. Yet, Jesus desperately wants to restore you. He wants to restore his broken relationship with you. So, I want to pray for you because that first step is salvation. It's making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's letting him come in and start to put those pieces back together. Those pieces he created. So we'll close our eyes, bow our heads. And if you're online, we'd like to pray with you too. So if that's you this morning, if you would raise your hand, I would love to pray with you this morning. I'm just looking around the room. Yes, I see you. Yep, see you too. Who else can I pray for? Yeah, I see you. Yep, see you. Anyone else I can pray with? Yeah, I see you. There's several of you. 
anybody else I can include in there. All right, we're going to go ahead and pray in just a minute. Can we give a hand for those who raise their hands? These are the people, <laughs> I love this part of any message, any Sunday, because this is the start. This is the start of allowing Jesus to come in. And he desperately wants to. I don't know what you've been through, but he desperately wants to come in and start to restore those areas that are broken. So we're gonna go ahead and pray. We're gonna pray this prayer. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. If everyone can pray together, I believe there's power when we pray together. Let's go ahead and repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I wanna follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, yeah. You know, I also want to pray for those of you who have areas in your life that you're still waiting on Jesus to restore. Maybe they're still too painful but I want to pray for you and then what we're going to do is the worship team is going to go back into another song and we're going to have some time at the altar there's going to be um, a couple people that are going to come down right here in the center hopefully they're making their way up here in just a second and they're going to be yep you can come forward if you've got those for me and what we're going to do is we have pieces of broken pottery and some markers and you can come forward and you can grab one of those and you can write down on that something that you are asking God to restore. You need Jesus to restore that area. And I know he desperately wants to. And so that you can come up, you can grab one of those and write that out. And the prayer team also would love to pray for you over those areas. So we're just gonna have a time of altar. It's still really early, so you still have time. Your kids are okay but I wanna pray for you first and then we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna head into that song, okay? All right, if, if you guys wanna just stand to your feet, we can go ahead and do that. Yep. And you can make your way forward now. Jesus, I just pray right now, God, for those people in this service who have areas that are just, they're just heartbroken in. Maybe they're areas of where they've lost a loved one, or maybe it's an area where they have a broken relationship with a relative or a friend or somebody close to them and they just desperately wanna see restoration in that relationship. Or maybe it's something in their own life, something personal or a job or something like that. God, we just pray right now over those areas. We pray that your restorative power would come over those things and you would begin to do a miracle in those areas. God, we pray for healing to begin in those areas. 
We know that you sent Jesus to be the ultimate restorer, that he already came, he paid the price to restore us, and he will continue to restore us until we get to heaven, until we see that in completion. And God, we just pray right now, God. I pray for every single person, anybody who's contemplating, God, I pray that they would just take that extra step this morning. We thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen.